0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's September 14th, a Wednesday, so we're talking about healthcare, specifically Medicare today. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and as usual, healthcare contributor Todd Campbell is calling into full HQ in Alexandria, Virginia. Todd, welcome to the show. Hi, Christine. So, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about Medicare today. I figure we'll give some basics about the different parts and what's covered. And then, regardless of our listeners' ages, whether they are of age to get Medicare or nowhere close to it, I figure it'll be useful if we can give some investing takeaways, what you can learn about Medicare spending, um, and other ways in which Medicare overlaps with the world of investing. What do you think?
1: I think that's a great approach. Let's dive right in. I I think this is going to be interesting. An interesting show for people to listen to, um, especially if they're coming up on um, sixty-five.
0: Exactly. So, as you mentioned, sixty-five—that is when you become eligible for Medicare—and so you have this seven-month window around your birthday month in which you can enroll. And realistically, you probably should enroll right about then. Otherwise, you do face a little bit of a risk of your premiums rising, particularly the longer you wait, the longer. The premium could go up, and for Part B especially, and we'll, we'll talk about how there are different lettered uh, parts to Medicare. For Part B, the penalty will continue on your premium for the rest of your life, unless you qualify for certain exemptions, such as if you work past sixty-five, you might end up not needing to to claim it right away in order to avoid the penalty. But right, about, That's a pretty
1: stiff penalty when you think about it, right? It, yeah, I mean, a exactly. Ten percent penalty in indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just for missing a few months.
0: But let's not talk about B too much before we cover part A. Todd, do you want to give us the rundown on Medicare Part A?
1: All right. So we've got, as you alluded to, we've got various parts of Medicare. They're all all are responsible for covering different parts of healthcare for recipients. Part A is original Medicare. It's the part that handles inpatient hospitalization. So you get sick you go to the hospital, you get admitted, um, and that's where Medicare will step up and cover that cost. Most Americans qualify for Medicare Part A without having to pay a premium. Once but you're there are 65 some costs and up. otherwise.
0: Well, yeah, once you're 65 and up, you will qualify, um, unless you didn't pay into Social Security for 10 years or more. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how where all this money comes from and how it's funding later. But essentially, it's, it's funded by the same uh, tax that it pays for things like Social Security.
1: Right. You've you basically have. Two forms of of uh, payment for all of these, and like you said, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it a little bit further on. But it's either going to come via government or it's going to come via premiums.
0: Right. So that is part A. Uh, there's also part B, which is. Quite different from Part A. It covers things like doctor visits and your outpatient costs, which that could be things like medical equipment or physical therapy. Um, also, in this bucket, would be preventative screenings and testings. And you actually will end up paying a monthly premium. So, this is not completely free. And this is where that penalty that we talked about first thing on the show would really matter. Um, typically, you pay a monthly premium that's around $100. And so you can imagine, ten percent on top of that. If you were a year late for enrolling, that's pretty significant over your lifetime.
1: It can it can absolutely add up. You know, I mean, if you were new to um, Part B last uh, in 2016, you could be paying 120. dollars You could be paying even more than that if you're a high income earner because Part B uh, premiums uh, there's a standard rate uh, and then there's also an income adjustment. And you know your premiums could go up into hundreds of dollars depending on how much income you report.
0: Exactly. And so once you have paid your premium, you are not quite done paying to get Part B uh, covered because you have a deductible per year that you have to meet, meaning expenses that come out of your pocket before the plan's coverage kicks in, and that is $166 per year. And after that, you'll still pay 20% coinsurance.
1: Right, I think that a lot of people think of part of Medicare, Part A and Part B, as being, oh, I, you know, I get 100% of my care taken care of. That's not the case. With Part A, um, your first 60 days or so uh, of being in the hospital are covered, but beyond that, you start to contribute to that care uh, on a daily basis. And with Part B, like you said, you've got not only the premiums, but you've got the small deductible, and then you're responsible for that 20% share of the costs.
0: Right. So that's Part A and Part B. I think there there is something that is referred to as Part C, but I think it might make more sense for us to talk first about Part D, which is your prescription drug plans that are optional and can be added for a cost. And these are administered by private insurers, um, so not just coming out of the the normal Medicare pot of Part A and Part B. Um, And essentially, what happens here is that you. Can pay a certain amount, and after that, your drug costs will be largely covered. And there are so many different options out here for Part D. And so, if you're eligible, you really want to look at what types of drugs you need, how often, how much you're spending, and compare the plans to make sure that you get the best one for you.
1: Yeah, it's very important for everyone to remember this because Part D plan costs can vary very widely. And every one of these plans, because they're run by private companies, that you can use drug formularies that reimburse very different amounts depending on the medications that you take. So When you go to enroll in Part D, make sure that you take the time to look through and make sure that any medication that you're on currently is covered in the best tier possible, so that your out-of-pocket costs are less. Because Yes, Part D will have premiums, but you'll also be on the hook for some other costs associated with that, including coinsurance um, and, and a deductible.
0: Exactly. So I uh, that, that was part A and part B and we did D. So now I guess it's probably time to talk about part C, which is more commonly known as Medicare Advantage. Todd, do you want to take that on?
1: Yeah, by the way, you did that in the right, you did that right. Because it's hard to talk about Part C if you don't talk know what part A, Part B, and Part D are. Part C is Medicare Advantage. They're, they're plans that are offered by private insurers that oftentimes bundle together and take over the responsibilities of Part A, Part B, and Part D. Sometimes you won't have to pay any extra premium uh, to get a Part C plan. Other times you will. It's really going to depend on the insurer the Level of coverage, how much your co payments will be, how much your co insurance will be, etc. The thing to remember about Medicare Advantage and why it even exists is that Medicare, original, we'll call it, original Medicare Part A and Part B, they don't cap out your spending. So theoretically, you could pay the 20% co insurance in Part B forever, and you could pay Your share of the hospitalization costs once you get beyond that 60 days forever. There's no cap on how much you'll spend in any given year. Part C plans do cap that spending.
0: Right, exactly. And that's something that is important to a lot of people to have that safety and and the assurance that your spending will be capped. 31% of Medicare beneficiaries are enrolled in a Medicare Advantage, and they're they can be very different, but in general, it'll, it'll cover stuff that Medicare doesn't. Uh, you could have hearing, vision, dental. There are a lot of things that aren't covered, kind of surprisingly, by Original Medicare that you can find a Medicare Advantage plan to cover.
1: You're right, Like hearing aids is a huge one that most of us were probably gonna end up needing at some point. And they can cost thousands of dollars and you have to replace them every so often. And that's not covered by Medicare Part A and Part B. You know, Part C plans, those Medicare Advantage plans, they can roll in dental coverage, they can roll in vision coverage, all sorts of things. Uh, of course you'll have to pay a higher premium for those, but at least it gives you the flexibility to choose what kind of coverage you want.
0: Exactly. If you know that listening to industry focus is a priority for the rest of your life, and you might need a hearing aid to do so, then you might want to consider this coverage.
1: One other. There are drawbacks, though, that we should probably touch on real quick on the on the Medicare Advantage plans. Sure. While they do give you more flexibility uh, and potentially more coverage and a little bit more protection, most of them are set up uh, as HMOs or PPOs, which means that they have limited doctor networks. Um, so You have to stay within the network, where if you're in original Medicare Part A and Part B, there are, those restrictions don't apply. Anyone who takes Medicare, you can go see.
0: Right, that's a good point, too. And That reminds me also about the star rating system, which I don't think a lot of people know about, but essentially your Medicare Advantage plans will get a, a star rating, which is given by the Medicare system itself, and it lets you know which plans it thinks are the best. So, if you're right, and if it- you
1: Google it, you can find out which ones are the highest ranked, uh, and there are some advantages to being higher ranked for the insurers. So, a lot of them will try and um, and get that five star ranking, uh, and it's important to do it. I mean, and to know just how how highly ranked your plan is. So, I, I recommend everybody goes out and at least takes a look at that.
0: Exactly. So I want to move on eventually to some of the stocks in this space and how investors can use this information. But first I promised that we would talk about funding. Um, so we all, as in the the workforce in the United States, pay one point five 1.45% of our earnings into the Federal Insurance Contributions Act, uh, which goes towards Medicare. Employers, meanwhile, pay another 1.45%, so you've got a total of 2.9%. Um, as a, an asterisk there, if you're self-employed, then you pay the entire 2.9%. And so there's a portion of this, this pool that covers social, that, uh, covers social security systems. Uh, and it's interesting because th- that tax is actually only levied on the first $118,599 in your earnings for 2016. And interestingly, the Medicare tax part of it is levied on every single penny that you earn. So that is where that money comes from. Do you have anything to add, right. or shall we talk about the way that they stocks? break that
1: out too, Christine? This would be interesting for for listeners to know. Is that you know the general fund or tax receipts that covers the cost of Medicare Part A, Part B. Uh, the way they break that out is that it starts at seventy-five percent of the funding. Roughly comes from tax receipts, and twenty-five percent comes from the premiums that are charged to the recipients but that can climb obviously depending on income because of the premium income adjustment but you know roughly 75 25 to begin
0: that is interesting Okay, cool. So let's spin to uh, some stocks that are in the space. I'll start by pitching Humana. They are one of the biggest Medicare players. They offer plans in all 50 states. They've been part of the program for over 30 years. Over 46% of Humana's 14 million members come from individual Medicare Advantage or Medicare Part D plans. So, this is one easy way that you can invest in the space.
1: United Health Group. They, I mean, they they are a Goliath. Humana is a Goliath. These are big players in 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 Medicare Advantage and the Part D programs, uh, and they're getting bigger every year. Because remember, we've got 76 million baby boomers, and they're turning 65 at a pace of 10,000 people for, per day. So anybody who's not opting for, just for Original Part A and Part B, uh, theoretically is providing additional revenue to these private insurers.
0: Yeah, around $3 trillion each year is spent on healthcare in the U.S. and that is only growing. So, about $0.20 for each of those dollars supposedly comes from Medicare which uh, added up to about $587 billion in 2013. And meanwhile, that's expected to grow substantially. The Congressional Budget Office expects that net Medicare outlays will increase by 67% by the year 2024, which would bring it to $866 billion. So, Todd, as you mentioned, you have an aging population, you have healthcare becoming more expensive, and that does mean that Medicare spending is going up.
1: Right. I mean, it's tough sometimes for investors because we're trying to figure out what's the purest way to play uh, or to invest in a particular area where we think that you know there's growth that's going to be coming. And in Medicare, it's difficult because most of the large insurers are diversified private insurers. Okay, right. So they're they're providing employer sponsored insurance. They're they're participating in the Obamacare exchanges. They're they're running Medicaid programs for various states, and then they're also doing these. Medicare offering selling these Medicare uh, plans. Um, you know, I, I think that you know, for investors who want to have that diversification across the entire health insurance industry, a company like United Healthcare can make a lot of sense. And then for people who maybe are interested in in more of a pure play on Medicare, uh, consider Humana because Humana gets, I think it's about 73% of their revenue directly from Medicare-related products, so Part C and Part D plans.
0: UnitedHealth is a really interesting one here. So, their uh, their, their Medicare supplement members and their Medicare Advantage, um, that's handled by OptumRx, and that has been a humongous driver of their revenue growth lately. And if it keeps up at current pace with that growth, apparently this uh, OptumRx segment of the company could catch up to the non Optum part. So, UNH is becoming more and more of a, a way to play Medicare. Yeah,
1: and it's, 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 it's a services and technology company too, right? Because as we get to the point where we're trying to find out the best ways to provide the right treatment to the right patient at the right time, insurers are starting to play a larger and larger role in, um, in helping accomplish that. And that's obviously creating new revenue streams uh, at Optum is a great example of, of how that's playing out.
0: Exactly. So, that is one route that you can take is looking at the insurers. Another way that an investor can look at this is to dive into the figures that are published uh, publicly about how and where Medicare spends most of its money. So, 14 drugs cost Medicare a billion dollars or more in 2013. And these are for your chronic conditions like diabetes, depression, high cholesterol. And so, some of the names that stood out to me in this list. First one was Nexium. Um, Nexium was the costliest drug in 2013. It cost uh, the uh, the system 2.5 billion to cover the 1.5 million Medicare patients that were being prescribed the drug. This is an AstraZeneca drug, although Pfizer introduced a generic back in 2015. And if you look at the numbers for Nexium. It is still making quite a bit of money. So, that generic came out in February of 2015. The Nexium brand still brought in $2.5 billion for AstraZeneca in 2015. And even though this was down from 2014 numbers, this is still a drug that is very, very common amongst Medicare uh, recipients. In 2015, it was still the second most expensive to the program. Um, another one that stood out was Savaldi, which we talk about a bunch on this show. This is Gilead's hepatitis C drug. This was actually in 2014 the number one biggest expense uh, drug for Medicare uh, weighing in at 3.1 billion and that was to treat just 33,000 beneficiaries. Again, that's compared to roughly 1.4 million for Nexium. So kind of interesting yeah, dynamics there. you know what's
1: interesting here, Christine, too though. I mean, for investors, we also have to remember that you know, Medicare, yeah, there's a, there's a large population of elderly people, and they're going to obviously um, um, be demanding a certain amount of drugs. But these companies, you know, they're not, again, it's not pure plays, right? And there's risks that could be associated with that because, I mean, we've all seen in the news over the course of the last year all of this payer pushback uh, that could lead to, you know, regulatory changes that, you know, kind of put the key, kibosh, if you will, on future uh, price increases for drugs.
0: Exactly, and I think that actually segues nicely into how we should wrap up the episode, which is to say that with the upcoming presidential election, so much of this could be subject to change. I mean, you have two candidates right now that each have their own policy proposals, and there's really no way to predict exactly what is going to happen to Medicare going forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are some common themes across the two major candidates. Uh, Both Clinton and Trump have said that they would like to have um, Medicare be able to negotiate directly with drug makers, um, so that's one thing. They both also suggested that they wouldn't be against being allowing for the importation uh, of drugs from cheaper countries into the United States, uh, assuming, of course, that you could guarantee the safety uh, and, the, and the, the authenticity of that medication. Um, you know Clinton has some some additional proposals including expanding Medicare uh to people who are younger than 65 maybe people as early as 55 would be able to uh enroll in the program uh, she's also proposed some caps on out-of-pocket spending on drugs uh that could help Medicare um, uh, patients meanwhile Trump has said that you know he he kind of feels that the, that it's a third rail topic and that we shouldn't be looking at Reducing benefits to Medicare, we should probably leave it as it is um, from here.
0: Right. So it will definitely be an interesting thing to watch going forward. And every time we talk about politics, I feel like I have to mention that given you, that you can't predict these things it's very, very difficult to try to factor them into your investing. and This sort of uncertainty touches just about every industry that there is. So, Unless you want to opt out of the stock market altogether, you do have some sort of regulatory risk. But, of course, with the pharmaceutical industry coming under such scrutiny lately, it is a hot topic in these presidential campaigns, and I am sure that we'll be hearing more from it on the two candidates as the election season goes forward. So that about wraps up our show for today. I believe we are out of time. Todd, thank you so much as always for coming on. And folks, thanks for listening. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Gamble, I'm Christine Harges, thanks for listening and fool on.